Throughout 2021, Arizona's dubious review of Maricopa County's 2020 ballots, all 2.1 million of them, was a national spectacle. Long before that effort concluded that President Joe Biden won by slightly more votes than the certified results showed, it was obvious that Doug Logan and his Cyber Ninjas team were partisans with no experience conducting what Republicans billed as a forensic audit. Over the nearly two years since then, litigation from the Arizona Republic and others, as well as the dogged efforts of private groups to know exactly what was happening, have led to the public release of 39,000 messages involving Logan, the one-time CEO of the now-defunct Cyber Ninjas. Yet, despite the immense volume of now-public information, we're still missing 3,000 documents from Logan. This in spite of a court order to release them. It's not clear why Logan continues to hold on to these documents. But one thing is certain. The state Senate's quote-unquote audit was anything but professional or fair. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Each week we examine the political issues that affect our state, community, and you. I'm Ron Hansen, national politics reporter for the Republic. And I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics and policy. Today, we're talking about what we still don't have from Doug Logan and why that still matters. We'll try and make sense of how this affects voting moving forward. And we'll dig into what we do know about the why behind Logan's actions to continue to withhold information. Joining us remotely is our reporter, Ryan Randazzo, who's been investigating this story for the past two years, and Larry Moore, the founder of Boston-based election technology company Clear Ballot Group. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us once again. Thanks for having us. I want to go over some of the things that Ryan recently noted about the 3,000 missing text and other messages, but I want to start with a big picture question. There were so many examples already known from Doug Logan's earlier records and interviews with people in and around the Arizona ballot review. So clearly it was a partisan exercise carried out in bad faith. How could the missing messages now change the way we think of that effort? Well, that's the key question, right? I mean, they already have released messages that show Logan fought bitterly with his subcontractors, fought with his lawyer, fought with the movie producer that he worked with when he wasn't supposed to be doing movies and media. Some of the messages show the audit workers and senators were embarrassed by Joe Von Pulitzer, but they were also pressured by that guy's supporters, so they let him participate in this, but they hid that from the public. They released messages that show people like Liz Harris were falsely claiming airplanes full of Antifa members were on their way to Arizona to disrupt the audit. They released messages that show conspiracy theorist Seth Keschel dislikes his wife. There are messages that show Logan was basically begging Trump uh, and his affiliates for money for the audit because they were broke uh, right out of the gates. So with all of that on the table, what in the world could be so sensitive that they continue to defy court orders to hide it? I mean, I don't know, and, and I, I don't really want to put forth theories, but that is the, the question of the day. Well, here's a question to build on that. Let's let's get specific. Your reporting shows that there were 70 missing messages involving Randy Pollan, who is a former spokesman for the ballot review. He was a confidant of then-Senate President Karen Fan when she was 
creating the ballot review. And we should note he is a former chairman of the state Republican Party. Are there any theories on what those 70 missing messages might contain? I'm a little hesitant to put forth theories. I'm curious, Larry, did that catch your attention as you, as you went through these, the fan and pull-in messages? It did. And I, I have no theory on why they're missing, but I think it was important to be able to count them and identify that they were missing and know what the surrounding conversation was like so that we could at least get a glimpse into what uh, was being hidden. Now, part of those messages, the part that was um, submitted in early February of this year, following a big submission in December, revealed about 3,700 messages, but nothing from Doug Logan. And so that's part of the trove of missing messages that we just don't have insight into. And Randy Pullen's messages were part of that. Larry, you and the audit guys reverse engineered a system that identified how many votes were cast in the presidential race in in each of the boxes. I've long suspected that level of granularity forced Logan and his team to essentially abandon any thoughts of reporting large-scale discrepancies with the official vote totals. What was Randy Pullen doing just before Logan issued his final report, and how does that factor into these missing texts? Well, first of all, we did two sets of reverse engineering. One was back in 21, which is the one you're referring to, where we basically were able to use the county's election department's data on their batch control system to determine which boxes should be counted and in those boxes, how many ballots and what was the statement of votes cast, meaning the list of total of votes for the ballots in one box. The second piece of engineering was with these text messages where we took very difficult to analyze images of spreadsheets and then reverse engineered the, the original spreadsheet out of those. And what that allowed us to do, which I think the Arizona Republic had a terrible time with, and uh, so did the other plaintiff, America Online, they were unable to piece together easily a timeline. And that's what is so revealing about this latest piece of work. And so what it shows is the progression of obfuscation as we get closer and closer to the September 24th report. I haven't specifically focused in on Randy Pullen, but what we did see on the 24th was a message by Seth Ketchell to Doug Logan that to me was really revealing. And it basically said, I'm paraphrasing, do you remember our meeting in Linwood's home in November and how important that was? And all of this stems from that. What that was, was their planning attempt to basically discredit the election. And to your question, Ron, there is very few revealing sets of messages where Doug Logan asked one of his workers to confirm our statement that we knew how many ballots were in each box. And they verified in these these text messages that we were indeed correct. And so they knew going into the 24th meeting that they could not just say, for example, we found 27,000 ballots that the Department of Elections did not count. Now that was true, but irrelevant. And to be clear on one point, Larry, what was Randy Pullen tasked with 
as the ballot review entered its final stages? Well, he was in charge, uh, my recollection, of the so-called machine count of ballots. Yeah, so when we published the count of ballots in each box, and they had this before June 30th, when the, the hand count ended, they thought it was would be a good idea to submit the ballots again to a machine count using a uh, high-speed paper counter, basically. And they confirmed their own belief that the hand count was way off. So Doug Logan knew going into his report that all the hand counting that they did was bogus. So Ryan, among the missing texts, there are 700 messages involving a Pennsylvania lawyer who helped push election challenges in that state. What do we know about how Doug Logan fit into this effort to undermine election results outside of Arizona? And this is something that we only came to know thanks to the the records. But the woman's name is Stephanie Lambert, and we know that she was involved in these schemes in other states to access voting equipment. And we had no idea until uh, our lawsuit produced these records that, you know, she was such a close confidant of Doug Logan. But she's one of the people that communicated with him the most during this period of time when the audit was going on. And she communicated with him on a host of issues from the audit operations. They talked about the public records lawsuit that produced these records. At first, Logan would not turn over his messages with her. But in one, he explicitly said that she was not his Arizona audit lawyer. And the Arizona Republic's attorneys were able to coax some of those messages from him through the court. And I suspect that these messages that they're still not turning over to us probably address, you know, Doug Logan accessing voting equipment in places like Georgia. And at least in the case of Georgia, that is under criminal investigation. I want to shift to another thing that you noted uh, recently, Ryan, there are no texts at all from an eight-day period around the end of July 2021. What was happening in that time period? And this question is for both of you. Why keep it secret after everything else that has come out now? Well, there was quite a bit going on with the audit work at that time. For one, there was a leak in the roof at the fairgrounds building, uh, which drew tons of media attention. The liaison, Ken Bennett, was kicked out of the audit and allowed back in, and that's because he was uh, coordinating with Larry's group to try and confirm their counts of ballots. And uh, it just defies logic that there were no messages sent to or from Logan uh, during this week period. And I can only guess at this, but I almost have to assume that this is just laziness, incompetence, or some combination uh, by Logan. If there were uh, incriminating messages during this time, there would also have to be messages about these other things taking place and mundane things like, what do you want for lunch? We're going to McDonald's. I mean, we got a lot of that in our 39,000 records, and there's just none during this period of time. And uh, again, it just defies logic that there were no messages sent at this time. And why we don't have those among the records that were turned over, I, I really can't say. Larry, I want to have you put that period in some deeper context because your dealings with Ken Bennett were quite a source of aggravation to Logan, to Karen Fan, and, and those who were trying to oversee this matter, that this created a good deal of stress. And what to do with Ken moving forward? You were dealing with Ken at that time. You know how 
fraught that period was. Tell us a, a bit about what that was like at that time. So in June, in the third week in June, we released a report that uh, actually was a little earlier than that, uh, that the Arizona Republic print edition on the front page headline said, put up or shut up. That was the headline to a challenge that we made to Karen Fan, the Senate president, saying that we had reverse engineered the count of ballots and in fact, the statement of votes cast in every box that should have been counted reached the total reported by the Maricopa Election Department. So with that information, how we connected with Ken Bennett is we observed that he was doing, we observed on the camera that he was in the room at one of the uh, counting tables. And I called him on his cell phone and asked him if he would give us the counts of some of the boxes that were going through the device that was counting the number of ballots in a box. And Ken, to his credit, said, sure. And a few minutes later, I get a text message that has the count of, I believe, six boxes. And three of them matched perfectly. Two of them matched by one off. And the last one was off by 18 ballots. But interestingly enough, and Ken Bennett had first cued me into this, he's an accountant, Whenever there is a transposition of digits, the difference is always evenly divisible by nine. And sure enough, it looked like that they had transposed two digits. And so that was the first eureka moment that we had, that they had independently confirmed the effort that we had to count the ballots in each box. And later on, Ken uh, released another, I believe, 18 boxes worth of data. And that's when we went to the Arizona Republic and said, we now have the confirmation. And I think it was AZ Central published that. And the next morning, Ken Bennett was walked out. And he called me on the phone and said how disappointed he was in, in our relationship. And we've since patched it up. So everything that we've talked about really relates to what we don't know. Let's pivot to talk about what we have learned from the text messages that have been released. Gentlemen, what stands out to both of you on that front? What new information, what new light do we have on events that we maybe knew of, but not as fully as we now do? One thing that stands out to me is just the, the massive interstate coordination among Trump allies to conduct this audit and to work across the country to raise doubts about U.S. elections. For example, everyone at the time thought that it was at least a severe ethical violation to have Christina Bob work as a television personality, you know, for a right-wing network covering the audit while also raising money. You know, that that looked bad at the time. Now we know that Christina Bob had volunteered for the Trump campaign just before this. And afterwards, she went to work formally for Trump. So you really had a a Trump paid lawyer with access to the floor of the audit. And she was raising money for Doug Logan. And as Larry said, uh, Logan was under serious financial distress. He couldn't pay people. Some of his subcontractors are still fighting with him over money. And so to have Trump's lawyer have such a hand in this was something that we did not know at the time, you know, and what a coordinated effort this was. We also know a lot more about people like Phil Waldron, Patrick Byrne, Lambert, communicating with Logan behind the scenes and their activities, again, across the country, which I think the media here in Arizona was mostly focused on the audit itself and not how all these things were interconnected across the country. And to pick up on that a little bit, 
Brian, the thing that struck me was the effort that Doug Logan went through to obscure and frustrate the court order. Uh, not only was there a tremendous delay that happened between the filings and the eventual turning over of the first tranche of documents in mid-December of 22, uh, which entailed a flurry of activity on the part of you guys at the Arizona Republic and your counterparts at uh, American Oversight. And um, that was done deliberately. You had to do that. And I think my opinion is that it was done with malice. In other words, he did not want easy access to that trove of 27,000 documents at the time. And then when he released the next set of documents in mid-February, they were in a different format. And then there was a third format delivered a month later. So three different formats, making it virtually impossible for someone without a great deal of technical competence to go through and reconstruct those. But that's what we had. Okay, so here we are. It's been almost two years since the ballot review ended, and it's been a year since a judge ordered Logan to turn over all this material. So what's next? Well, we keep fighting. You know, our attorneys are in contact with those that are representing Doug Logan and his wife, who are the defendants at this point, uh, and the Senate. And thanks to Larry and the audit guys, we can give them a very detailed account of what's still missing. And I'm not even sure that Logan has a good accounting of what exactly is missing, although I'm sure he knows he hasn't turned over everything. So we can show them conversations that we're interested in seeing the rest of. You know, for example, when someone messaged him and then the, the response is redacted or, or vice versa. And we'll see. Uh, he has not been compelled to turn this stuff over despite $50,000 a day sanctions imposed by the court. Uh, which to my knowledge are still going on and would exceed $10 million if that money were ever to uh, be paid. So uh, we continue to fight, but it is a difficult fight with someone who uh, has really put his heels in. So from our vantage point, we are similarly frustrated. We are, likewise, we are frustrated with this for different reasons. But our goal in doing the work is to help the Arizona Republic, and we were, and before American Oversight withdrew from the case to help them too make the most compelling argument to the court that they demand the turning over of these all these documents so that they can unredact it. And to that end, uh, not only are we presented the evidence that uh, Ryan just referred to, the list of documents that were redacted that should be turned over, but we're also working on a few visual pieces of evidence that would give a non-technical judge almost instantly a look at how extensive and pervasive Logan's obstruction has been. I want to ask one last question, gentlemen. If 2021's political drama for the nation was the Arizona ballot review, in some ways last summer's political drama was the January 6th committee and its eye-opening hearings on the effort to subvert the 2020 election results as well. How does the Arizona ballot review fit into the state of American democracy at the present moment? I think the Arizona ballot review, which they called an audit, but it was so far from an audit, uh, is a blueprint. And they were making it out to be a blueprint. They wanted to create a business out of doing this bunch of non-businessmen thinking that they could institutionalize this travesty on the American public. I don't think that that energy has dissipated even from our work. And so 
they are learning from what they did and it will be different in the future. But the outcome, if they're as successful as they were in 2021, it will be extraordinarily harmful to the country. And so our motivation in this is to develop the tools and the framework that we can rapidly turn around data so it becomes relevant to the public through the medium of the Arizona Republic and others. Well, thank you both for coming on The Gaggle. Where can our listeners follow you online or on social media? Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Utility Reporter. And you can find us at www.real-audits.org. Very good. Well, thank you both. That's all we have time for today, Gaggle listeners. You can read Ryan's full investigation by subscribing to the Arizona Republic at azcentral.com. Do you have questions you want us to answer or topics you'd like us to cover? Reach out to us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word all spelled out. Or call us at 602-444-0804. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. To ensure you never miss an episode, follow The Gaggle on your favorite podcast app. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan and Amanda Luberto. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.